each and every day we get upon this earth is soaked with meaning and purpose. The challenge is we get so used to the routine, so lulled by the mundane, our days start to blend together and fade with familiarity. If we're not careful, we can look back and realize we've wasted what we've been given. But if we could begin to understand the brevity of this life, the eternal implications of how we live now, we can start to live our lives with deeper purpose and urgency. Each day becomes a possibility for purpose. Each moment becomes an opportunity for meaning. The book of James calls us to live out this brief moment we've been given upon this earth with wisdom, with urgency, with significance. It beckons you, don't waste your life. Turn your Bible to James chapter one. We did our introduction to James last week. And, and what we're gonna be talking about this week is the idea of a gospel transformed life. Now, James is a book of wisdom, but it is written by a man who was the half-brother of Jesus, and we looked at last week how his life is flipped upside down by this encounter with the risen Jesus, and he's writing it to what the introduction says is the 12 tribes of the dispersion, or 12 tribes that are scattered among people. And so it's a group of followers that are disconnected and they're learning what does it look like to actually live out the way of Jesus, walk in wisdom in this world that I find. And so here in this passage, we, we find this very explicit description of the progressive change that you'll see in your life as you follow Christ, as the gospel brings about work in you. And so what our hope is, we would have a deep, such a deep understanding of God's love, of the gospel, that it would actually produce life change, that we would actually be transformed so that we can be a light. We can live in a different way. So let's look at James chapter one. I'm gonna start in verse 13 today. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here's the first thing we're seeing, we see that we're given in a gospel-transformed life. We're given gospel discernment. We are actually able to see the difference between life and death, lies and truth. And, and, and he explores right here, one, where does evil, where does sin come from and what does it lead to? So first, this idea of what is, where does it come from? Because when we look around in the world, like if it's broken, am I right? Like something, like it needs to be like, we need a hard reset on just the whole world, right? Like everything is just so, we see political wars, we see literal wars, we see children being sold into slavery, we see teenage bodies being mutilated under the banner of gender-affirming surgeries when in reality they're future-destroying. We see racial tension at the highest in my lifetime, and maybe not everybody's lifetime, but at least the highest in my lifetime. Pornography is being defended as free speech. Free speech is being labeled as dangerous. 
More kids are growing up without fathers than ever, ever before. We've decided to push for the legalization of every single drug in our state, except for the ones that people actually need, then those are monetized, okay? That, that's just where, where we're at, right? Um, we see that suicide and depression are at an all-time high. Inflation is so high, we're returning to the eating habits of our college days. Anybody else buying Top Ramen right now, right, okay? <laughs> Oh, and by the way, two weeks ago, they announced there's a 50% chance that artificial intelligence takes over the world and accidentally destroys all of humanity, kind of like an iRobot, but this time, Will Smith is nowhere to be found, okay? That's where our world is, right? And we look around, we're like, what is wrong with the world? That's the question we ask. Now, here's what I need you to see. About 100 years ago, they were asking this same question. There, there was a movement happening, an experience that where pe people in the world were just experiencing great despair. From racial and social inequities that plague society, most of the West was on the brink of war. Diseases like polio were spreading rampantly. They were having quarantines. All, all these different things that almost align with what is happening and what we've been experiencing these last few years. And there's this kind of story about Times London, they were so concerned about the state of Western civilization and where it was headed, they decided to reach out. They wrote these letters, okay? So like, it's pre-Twitter, like Carrier Pigeon was like pre-Twitter, right? And they wrote these letters to writers and philosophers, clergymen, theology, uh, theologians, scientists, and they asked them this question, what is wrong with the world and, and what do we do about it? And so all these people were writing back and responding with these different, okay, here's what's wrong and here's what's, what we do. Here's what's wrong and here's what we do. And one of the people they wrote a letter to was a theologian named G.K. Chesterton. Now, he was a brilliant, brilliant theologian. He mentored guys like C.S. Lewis. And he was known um, for his oratory skills, and he would write, the, he would pen these brilliant letters that just gave this insight and answers. And so he responded to their question, and he responded simply, Dear Sir, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I'm what's wrong with the world. See, G.K. Chesterton understood what James is teaching us here. The brokenness of our world lies within that's what's wrong with the world. See, the problem is not out there. We, we, we are so good at blaming. The problem is not out there. It's in here. I'm the problem, okay? How many, how many of you guys watched uh, that series, The Walking Dead, when it, when, when it was out, okay? Okay, you're not supposed to admit that in church. What are you doing, okay? <laughs> don't, don't admit that. Okay, so anyway, so I'm watching The Walking Dead, right? And it's this little zombie show, right? It, it, and they're walking around. They're trying to figure out why people are turning into zombies. It's really dumb, really good, okay, right? And so... And, and finally, at the end of season one, spoiler alert to the 99% of you real Christians who haven't watched it yet, okay? Uh, spoiler alert, they find out what's wrong. They find out why people are turning into zombies. It's not something that's happened to them. It's a sickness that is within all of them. And I was like, this is a dumb show, but good theology. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is like spot on. That, that what, is, what is wrong with the world is the brokenness of our hearts and our flesh. And until we can admit that, we cannot begin to break free from the curse that we are under. See, we are a blame society, are we not? The, the problem with society, the problem with your life is always somebody else. It's always a different political party. It's always the neighbor's problem. It's always your spouse. It's always your kids. It's always your roommate. It's never you. 
And what James is warning us is saying, do not blame God for the brokenness in your life. Uh, he does not, he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. The brokenness in our own lives starts with our own desires within. And those evil desires lead to sin, and that sin leads to death. And, and this is what gospel discernment is. He, he, he's, James is trying to get us to step back and see that sin leads to death. That the sinful choices we are making, what they lead to and have discernment around the impact that they're having on our lives. I think about some of the worst decisions I've made in my life. Since I've committed wrongs that I've done, and I can go, if I could go back and actually understand what was gonna happen or the fallout of those consequences, I was 100% redo them. It's funny how we have this movement right now where we talk about no regrets. Oh, people will talk about their life and I have no regrets. Even people get tattoos. There'll be a typo in the tattoo. It'll say no regrets, right? And we're just walking around, hashtag no regrets, bro. You know, I'm just living, the, right? Like, I have regrets, okay? Just so you know. And here's the thing. I think it's dangerous not to regret things. If you don't regret bad decisions, you're destined to repeat them. And what James is saying is, no, 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 step back and look at the sin in your life and what it's led to. Like, if you actually track the, the poison that we drink in our life and the sins and what it leads to, every time there's gonna be a pathway that leads to death. Any sin, any struggle, like, just think about it. Where is it going to lead? James is telling us in some way, shape, or form, it's going to lead to death. It could be death of a relationship, Death of our identity, death of progress, death of security, death of confidence, death of our integrity, death of a future opportunity, death of your reputation with your friends, death of trust with your spouse. But ultimately, the ultimate death in Scripture is separation from God. That's what, that's what death is in Scripture. And, and it leads us away from the Lord. And James is trying to write to a group of people who are forgetting what they've been set free from and they're falling back into sin and slavery. They, they're, they're scattered amongst the world. They're, they're no longer gathered with their church. They're scattered amongst the world. And, and he's like, look at the life that you're living. You've, getting, you've gotten so far off track. And we have this habit. We do this. We look back on our old life of brokenness and, and we're nostalgic about it. You know what a nostalgia is, right? Nostalgia is camping, right? You go camping and it's miserable. You're dirty. You're like, you're like I, I'm, eat, I'm literally eating bugs, right? And then you get done with that and you, next summer comes along and you're like, you know what we should do? That trip last year was so fun when we went camping. We should go camping. And no, it wasn't. It wasn't fun. It was nostalgic is what it was, okay? This is what we, this is what, we, sorry, campers out there. You guys are like, we're literally going camping this week, okay? Have fun, right? May the, lesson, may the Lord's blessing be upon you, right? Okay. But see, this is, we're constantly doing this. The Israelites, after they were set free from slavery of the Egyptians, you know what they did? They looked back, rather than looked forward to the promises that God, they looked back and they're like, wasn't that great? Look at this, Numbers 11, it says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Oh, when we were slaves, we had delicious meat. We remembered the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. It was free, 
It only, I mean, we just had to be slaves, but they fed us. It was amazing. Listen to this. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, right? This is how you sound. You're like, oh, my old life. I just, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. It was so, oh, the taste of slavery was so good. And, and James is like, are you kidding me? Stop longing for the taste of death and long for the goodness of God. You've lied to yourself and the world has lied to you. Those choices away from the it leads to death every time. It'll destroy your relationships. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your identity, your, your future, your security. Be done with that. And James is saying, no, the, the gospel has transformed us. In a way, we no longer see the brokenness. We no longer see the, the sin and long for it because we know it leads to death. And he continues on, he says, verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. That's where good gifts come from. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Yes, sin leads to death, but God's goodness leads to life. That's what we are to long for. And when we experience the goodness of God, we no longer long for the taste of death. See, James is telling us that every good thing is from God and everything from God is good. Every good thing is from God and everything from God is good. All the joy and beauty and wonder of this life is created by God for his glory and your enjoyment. You realize that? He's a good father who wants to pour. Like, think about everything good, right? Good food, it comes from God. You, you ever had a, like a perfectly cooked steak? That was the Lord. Like Adam's like walking around and he's just like, what is that like giant dog thing? He's like, God's like, that's a cow. It's like, what do they do? Well, they do two things. One, um, and one day in the future, they're gonna make lattes. Those in those almonds with their little udders over there, they're gonna make lattes too, but they're gonna make lattes. And you know what else they do? They con I see all that grass? They convert that to carne asada. And, you, and, and I will be glorified in those moments. This is goodness of God. Like, have you experienced? This is goodness of God. The beauty of the Pacific Northwest, it comes from God. He created the call of birds and the rivers we raft down, the sunsets we watch, the fire pits we relax, relax by. God is good. Sex comes from God. You realize God created sex. It's not like he showed up one day in the garden. It was like, what are they doing? Like, that's not what those are for. That's not, what, that's not how it happened, Okay. God created goodness to, that we would have pleasure and we would be able to enjoy our spouse and procreate and connect and bond in these things. James is telling us that we need to have eyes to see what, what sin leads to, not it leads to death, but the good things from God, they give birth to life. And as we start to walk in God's goodness, rather than the way of death, we can now actually become a gospel presence. We, we have the gospel discernment to see the difference, and now we can actually be a gospel presence. He continues on. Verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is like, listen, there's some things coming out of you that are not of Jesus. The way you're speaking, the way you are not listening, the anger, that's not who Jesus has made you into. We, we just got done looking at these trials and how they shape and transform us into Christ's image. And James is like, no, you're missing it. And I, I feel like this needs to be a mantra for our lives. Quick, slow, slow. You, you're walking into a discussion with your roommate or your spouse. I want you to tell yourself, no, quick, slow, slow. I need to be quick to hear. I need to fight to hear and understand them. And I'm going to be slow to speak. And I'm going to be slow to become angry. We do the opposite, don't we, right? We are slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. Usually it just starts with anger, right? We just reverse the whole thing. But you look at these one by one. They're living the way of Jesus to be quick to hear. Like we, we are not a quick to listen, a quick to hear society, are we, Right? We think we know what everybody else is thinking. Like, for, for example, you guys all think that you can finish my sandwich. No, see? Why would I say sentence? I don't you're, you're, I, I mess with you, okay? But how often we jump to conclusions, judgment. Sorry, I just don't like people eating my food. Uh, frustration. Because we misinterpret or misunderstand the truth of the situation or someone else's motives in a particular circumstance. This is why it is actually really frustrating when people try to put words in our mouth and think they can finish our sentences because they're just filling in all the blanks by totally making assumptions and not actually listening. Stephen Covey, he put it like this. He says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And what James is saying is saying, you have a God who listens to you. He hears your cry, and because of that, he's transforming you in a way that you actually should be somebody who understands those around you. When you understand the gospel, that God hears and knows and understands, it produces this desire that we would be a people that hear and see and understand others. Henry Nouwen, Dutch clergyman, he put, he put it like this. He says, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that as those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. And what James is saying, he says, you need to be a presence in this world, a gospel presence in this world. And in order to do that, you need to be quick to hear, hear the pain, hear the cries, to understand what people are facing and what they're going to, going through their pain and their perspective and their passions. And then we need to be slow to speak. It's crazy. We all want to be heard today. We all have opinions and something to say, and we feel like our opinion, our words are just so important. This is why um, social media exists, right? And, and it's reached this point where, it, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or something I don't even know about, right, we've created this culture where we have to maintain our appearances of the life that we're living and what we communicate about, what makes sure our voice is heard on every issue, every tragedy, every political event. We, have to, we feel like we have to say something. Anything going on in our society, we have to say something. 
The problem is there's a big difference between having to say something and having something to say. Let me ask, I know I'm asking for raised hands way more than ever. I don't know what's happening. Maybe we're just getting more charismatic, but um, <laughs> introverts in the room. Um, can, you, can you raise your hand for me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the ones hiding, can you also raise your hand? <clears throat> you know, the thing, I'm an extrovert. The thing about extroverts Somebody was shocked by that. <laughs> These are my confessions. You know, the thing about extroverts is we feel like we have to say something. You know what I've learned about introverts? You don't say something until you have something to say. And you are so valuable to the church. And, and we can learn from you in this. And, and what James is saying is, is this is actually important that we be a people, no matter our personality, no matter what kind of family we grew up in, that we're like, no, no, I'm actually quick to listen. I'm quick to hear, and I'm gonna be slow to speak. And I'm not gonna speak because I have to say something. I'm gonna wait until I have something to say that truly reflects the gospel, that truly reflects the goodness of God. He continues on a little later in this passage. He says, those who consider themselves religious, and he means it in a positive sense. I know a lot of times we'll talk about religion being in a negative sense, but when James uses it in this epistle, he means it in a positive sense. He says, those who consider themselves loyal to God, followers of Jesus, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. And what James is telling us here is that words are powerful. We can create or destroy with words. Words can build up or tear down. They can build bridges or close doors. And we have to view and value the way that we walk and use these words and walk with them, okay? A number of years ago, this is, this is a while ago, I actually, I've told this story before, but I never say where I called, but I, it's so long I can say where I called. I, I called to order food to go at Bon Teriyaki. You guys been to Bon Teriyaki? That place is, is more like bomb teriyaki. It's so good, right? Okay, and uh, we're driving there. We just had a long day at the river. Kids are in the back, you know, and I'm on the phone, and, I'm, and I'm, I call to put in my order of sweet and sour chicken because it's breathtaking. It's amazing, right? And... Um, the gal on the phone was so rude to me. It just was like, it was like, you could just tell she hated her job and life and humans, you know, and, and teriyaki, right? Just all these things, right? And so it was so, I was like, I'm not trying to be an inconvenience to you. I just wanna, I just wanna order food right now. Like, and so we go through this ordeal and uh, like I'm like clearly like I get done and I'm like I'm frustrated okay and so we we pull in and I get out of the car my wife stays in the car with the kids and uh, you know as I'm going you know my wife knows me and she's just like hey just be really nice <laughs> and I look at her and I'm like Jesse I'm a pastor. It didn't really happen that way. Uh, I go in, and uh, I can tell this the gal because she's talking to every other customer that way as I'm waiting to get up and pay for my order and pick up my sweet and sour chicken. And, uh, and so, you know that moment where you're like, 
okay, here's like, how passive is my aggressive going to be? Or like how, you know, you're like, I'm going to just fix this human in this interaction. It's going to be great. She's going to thank me so much for it later. And, uh, you know, just kind of like my leg was probably just shaking, right? And uh, I, come, I walk up to the counter, and the first thing she says to me, first thing, she goes, hey, are you, aren't you the pastor at Rise? <laughs> yes, I am. Blessings upon you. <laughs> yeah, I called in. I just I want to get some nourishment, feed my kids. Maybe a blessing to our body and yours, right? <laughs> and she'd never been to Rise, um, but she started following us on social media, and she starts opening up about her life a little bit. Her parents' divorce, how she got disconnected from church, why she hasn't gone back. And it was a moment for me where I realized this was an opportunity that the Lord was sovereignly establishing for me to go hear her and be a blessing in her life. And meanwhile, I'm trying to be quick to speak and quick to anger and fix her problems. <laughs> as an expression of my insecurities and defensiveness. And what James is saying is those who consider themselves followers of Jesus yet do not keep a, a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. You guys, we're called to be a gospel presence, and our words matter because we are representatives of the kingdom, and we have the ability to create and destroy with our words. And not only are we to be slow to speak, we're to be slow to become angry. Why? Because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Your words, your opinions, your unfiltered emotions, they're not producing the righteousness of God. They are making you into what God wants you. They're not making you into what God wants you to become. Again, last week we just looked at trials. The whole point of trials and suffering is that is for our progress and perfection that God would use them to make us more and more like his son Jesus. What is Jesus like? We get a glimpse of what he's like, of what God is like in Exodus 34 when he reveals himself to Moses and he speaks about himself. You know what, you know what he says? He says, when he's talking about his character, he says this same phrase, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so when James says be slow to anger, he's not just pulling some you know, new task out. He's saying, be like Jesus, be transformed. You know, the, the challenge with anger is in our minds, our anger is always justified, right? We're always right. No, 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 no. That person cut me off. That person didn't listen. That person wasn't kind. I, I'm right. I'm right to be anger in this, angry in this moment. What James is writing to a group of believers scattered amongst a world that hates them, he's, he's telling them that we are not called to be right, we are called to be righteous. And to be righteous means to represent the kindness and the grace and the truth and love of Christ. And we get in our little holy huddles and we pat each other on the back for how right we are. And meanwhile, there's a wounding, wounded, hurting world 
who's looking on a very angry church, and that's not who we're going to be. Amen? We're going to be a people of Jesus. Right is about justifying our anger. Righteous about, is about representing God's presence here on earth. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Literally the phrase, uh, put off, put away. It means to take off those dirty clothes. That's not who you are anymore. And, and what is the filthiness in your life? Is the way you talk, the way you talk about people, how you speak about political leaders, how you've been gossiping about others. James is saying, that is not you. Take off those dirty clothes. He's not saying shame on you, how dare you, how could you. He's saying, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not who you are anymore. Don't talk that way. Don't be marked by anger. Don't speak about others that way. Don't fly off the handle. Why? Because you've actually received with meekness the implanted word. It, there's a gift that's been implanted to you, that's been given to you. Spurgeon explains this phrase like this. He says the word receive is a very instructive gospel word. It is the door through which God's grace enters to us. We are not saved by working, but by receiving. Not by what we give to God, by what God gives to us, and we receive from him. So it's easy to read all these things, like, okay, I just need to work harder, I need to do better, I need to change, and oh, my, my heart is evil, and the, and, and the brokenness of the world is within, but this is the beauty of the gospel. You know what the beauty of the gospel is? God gives you a new heart. He takes out that old, angry, stony, hard, broken heart, and he puts in the heart of Christ, and he fills you with his spirit. This is Ezekiel 36. This is, this is prophesying about this new heart. It says, and I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. That is the heart of Christ that lives inside of each one of you. So just let it out. Let Christ live in you. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, we can get up and be like, oh, we're the problem, we're the problem, and we are. But guess what? Jesus has done something about the problem. He has redeemed and healed and restored and renewed that we can actually go and do the last thing, be a experience, being a gospel blessing, experience blessing from God. This is what it says. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, that's the last thing that a gospel-transformed life experiences. Uh, it's the blessing of God. And we should, like, long for this. This phrase here, don't be a hearer, uh, it's the word we use for auditing a class. You know what it means to audit a college class? So you go up, you don't get any credit for it, but you just hear. But you don't do any of the work. You don't actually... Um, you don't do the assignments, you don't do the homework, you don't take the test, you just sit in here. And what James is saying, he's like, some of you guys are auditing the way of Jesus rather than walking in the way of Jesus. And the blessing is not merely hearing the word. The blessing of God comes from actually living the word. See, Christianity, being disciples, is not a religion or belief system built upon intellectual acquisition of information. The way of Jesus 
is to live a life of glorifying God by our obedience to his word and loving those around us. And in that, that's how we experience God's blessing. Because I want you to experience the blessing of God. My son Dax, I shared this recently, he's, he's always moving from different creature to different creature that he's into, and right now he's, he's obsessed with saltwater aquariums. And they're kind of like an advanced, um, like a re, you're literally recreating the ocean in your bedroom, <laughs> okay? And so we go in, we have these conversations, you know, with these experts, and they're like, how old are you? He's like, I'm nine, right? He's like, am I the youngest? They're like, yeah. He's like, I think it's a world record, right? <laughs> And so he had set up this tank, and he, he, he knew for weeks and months what his first creature was going to be in that tank. It, he was going to get a pair of clownfish, and, uh, you know, Finding Nemo, right, okay? And they're really incredible, and they, they, uh, the way they cohabitate, and they, they build connections if you get two of them, and he's, he's just, like, obsessed. So he'd been working for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, saving up money, doing his chores, mowing the lawn, all, all these different pieces, and uh, the day comes where if he just mows the lawn one more time, uh, he can go get a clownfish. And so um, while he was at school, I went by the fish store to make sure they had, they were still there. I didn't want to, I just want to, I want to be set up for what the disappointment is going to look like. And I walk in, they have them, right? They have them, but then they have a new one. And it's like, I'm telling you, like, I know this is the nerdiest, dorkiest thing. Well, maybe not ever I've said, but like, it's up there. Literally the coolest clownfish I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Makes Nemo look lame, right? <laughs> and Dax, like, he's been obsessed. He's got, a, he knows his names that he's going to call them, like, all these pieces. And I go and I see this new one. And it has, like, this create, it's literally like a puzzle piece design on the side of it. And I'm like, I'm like, this is like evolution debunked in a fish. You know, it's just the beautiful design of God's, creation. And I decide in that moment, because the one problem with it is it's twice as much as the other ones. And so he will not have enough. And I decide in that moment, um, if he mows the lawn and he finishes his chores and he shows up ready to buy these other ones, I'm going to buy this one for him. I would just want to like bless him, right? So I go, go home. He gets home from school and he comes in and uh, I'm like more excited than he is because he doesn't know what's going to happen. I'm like, Dex, you know, if you mow the lawn, he's like, today's the day. He's like, I think I'm just going to watch a show first. I'm like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't feel like you should do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, uh, Netflix closed. It's not a thing anymore, right? You know, like I'm just, and, and, and so I'm just like, he's like, oh, okay, like I'll, you know, mow the lawn. And he mows the lawn. He's like dancing and like, ooh, listen to music, just doing his thing. Like, and I'm like, dude, mow the lawn, like walk, like walk in it, right? And so he gets done, and I'm like, boom, here's your money. You have enough. We're excited. We make a big deal out of it. We get in the car. We drive to the fish store. We get in. And, and I'm like, he's looking. He's like, these are the ones. And I'm like, Dex, have you seen this one? And he, his jaw drops. And he's like, oh, that is the coolest clownfish I've ever seen. I'm like, you see, church, don't judge me. <laughs> And then immediately gets sad. Why does he get sad? Because he can't afford it. And I, I look at him and I'm like, hey, Dax, you're going to buy one of those regular, lame-looking, boring clownfish. <laughs> I didn't talk bad about them. And because you've worked so hard 
and you've obeyed and you've done your chores, I'm going to buy this one for you. And his face just lights up and we go and we buy it. And he walks out of that fish store with Nemo and Tiny Elvis. That's what he named him. (laughs) And here's what this passage is teaching us that God is a good and loving father who longs to pour out massive blessing on your life. And he is, just, he is just waiting. He's like, oh, if you would just walk in obedience, you have no idea the blessings that I wanna pour out in your life. If you would just walk in what I have for you, you have no idea the goodness that I have in store. This is, this is not prosperity gospel, this is Bible. This is, he's saying, no, 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 don't just be a hearer of the word. Actually walk in the word. He, God has blessing for you. Warden Wearsby puts it like this. He says, faith is confidence that God's word is true and conviction that acting on that word will bring his blessing. So let's be a people who are actually transformed because we love our father. Because Jesus has put a new heart in us because we want to experience the blessing that he wants to pour out in our lives. And the beauty of walking in obedience and experiencing life is a blessing in itself. This is what it means to live a gospel-transformed life.